Welcome to Parody and Subversion in Matthew's Gospel. episode brings to a close a three-part series looking at Matthew's narrative of Jesus' first three detailed individual healings. These healings come right after his revolutionary speech, or rabbinic teaching, in which he lays out the law for the new society. Matthew brings Jesus down off the mountain to immediately encounter a social outcast, an enemy soldier, and a woman all in need of healing, either for themselves or someone close to them. In each of these three detailed healings, Jesus crosses a boundary to bring social healing. Jesus first touches a social outcast, a man declared unclean by the legal purity code. Jesus declares the man clean. He then heals the son or servant, depending on how you translate the Greek word, of a Roman centurion, making peace with an enemy. Finally, in the passage that we will look at today, he crosses the gender divide, restoring a woman to her place of honor, through which she becomes an exemplar for the movement. In all three interactions, Jesus crosses a social divide, creating the solidarity necessary for his movement for a new society. Matthew tells us that after reconciling these three people, Jesus then continues with the work of healing the masses that he began before his speech on the mountain. So Matthew depicts Jesus healing the masses right before the speech, then after the speech. Matthew provides three stories of Jesus healing people, ending again with Jesus healing the masses. Matthew is telling us that the campaign for a new society will be a campaign of healing. This so-called son of David, this new Joshua, does not wage a military campaign of killing, as David and Joshua did, but rather a campaign of healing to usher in a new kind of society, a society of grace and mercy. My name is Bert Newton, and this is Episode 17 of Bible Study parody and subversion in Matthew's Gospel. Let's start with the first two verses of our passage today, Matthew 8, 14-15, in the New Revised Standard Version. When Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and her fever left her, and she got up and began to serve them. Jesus again touches someone who might be considered unclean. Scholars are divided on whether Jesus crosses a purity boundary here by touching a sick person. On the one hand, the Torah does not explicitly prohibit it. On the other hand, 
there was likely a cultural taboo against it as reflected in later rabbinic writings. And on still another hand, it takes a lot of hands to sort these things out. On still another hand, those later rabbinic writings also include stories of rabbis healing sick people by touching them. The sick people were other rabbis, but I don't think that matters. It is likely that there was a general cultural taboo against touching sick people and or perhaps an ideology of considering any sickness as impure in order to build a fence around the Torah, something that I explained in a previous episode, a way of upholding stricter purity than the law requires. But touching a sick person was not explicitly forbidden by law, and the crossing of that taboo by Jesus and other rabbis was probably seen as shocking but merciful. But one thing is clear. You weren't supposed to touch someone of the opposite sex if you weren't related to them. Again, there is no explicit prohibition against that in Torah. Well, there are a couple of texts that some conservative types have over the centuries interpreted that way, but no modern scholar or sensible person would interpret them that way, so I won't bother to get into them. But the culture in first century Palestine was super conservative on this point, and you just weren't supposed to do it. You weren't supposed to touch someone of the opposite sex if you weren't related to them. Well, Jesus does it. He crosses this boundary. The text then tells us that Peter's mother-in-law was healed and immediately got up and started serving them, or him, meaning Jesus. But that depends on which ancient manuscript of Matthew we're using. I'm going to go with the one that says them. So she got up and immediately began serving them. That always bothered me. I mean, she just got over her illness and she's already serving the men? Doesn't she get a minute to take a breath? Did Jesus heal her just so she could serve him and his friends? But that's reading it from a modern Western point of view, in a culture with not only strong gender roles, but also a very high ideal of hospitality, stating that she immediately got up and starting serving them indicates that her honor was restored. She is again functioning in her honorable role. But that may not be the end of the story either. Many scholars have noticed that the word used to indicate what she does, the word serve, or diakoneo in Greek, is a special word in Matthew. It is used to describe what angels do, what Jesus himself does, what the disciples are supposed to do, and what the women do who stay with Jesus even at the cross and don't abandon him like all the men do. But it is never used to indicate what the male disciples in Matthew actually do. Diakoneo is the word from which deacon is derived. The word can also be translated to minister, as in the minister of a church. In fact, that's how the Old King James Bible translates it in this passage. It says that she ministered unto them. This has led some scholars to assert that Peter's mother-in-law is depicted in this passage as a leader in the community of Jesus followers. 
that she has a leadership role. She is a minister. Now, I think that is probably pushing it too far if by leader we mean a leader in the later ecclesiastical hierarchical sense. But I do think that Matthew may be indicating that she is a model disciple, doing what disciples are supposed to do, what Jesus came to do, and what the male disciples don't ever seem to get around to doing. Jesus says in Matthew, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. The same word, serve, or in Greek, diakoneo. It is the thing that Jesus came to do, and that is what Peter's mother-in-law is said to do when she is healed. Matthew has given us three quick vignettes of Jesus healing and thereby reconciling people, creating community and solidarity. He heals a leper or declares him clean and thereby restores him to a place of normal privilege or honor in society. Then Jesus heals a centurion's servant and in the process makes an ally of this powerful enemy. And finally, Jesus crosses the gender divide to touch and heal a woman who then becomes an ideal member of the movement, possibly a leader. Next, Matthew presents Jesus for the second time healing the masses. Let's read the next two verses, Matthew 8, 16-17. That evening they brought to him many who were possessed with demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and cured all who were sick. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. The first time that Matthew reports Jesus healing the masses is at the end of chapter 4 where Matthew tells us that people came from all around the region, including from Gentile areas. Jesus' campaign of healing is an organizing campaign that brings people together across social and political boundaries, creating solidarity among the common people and their upper-class allies. This campaign of healing reverses the effects of the Roman Empire and its economy, which, in the first century, caused widespread hunger and malnutrition, resulting in extremely high rates of disease and disability. Roman propaganda called this era the Golden Age, but for most people, it was an age of misery, an age of sickness and death. Carol Wilson, in her 2014 book, For I Was Hungry and You Gave Me Food, Pragmatics of Food Access in the Gospel of Matthew, crunches the numbers and concludes that a quarter of the population in the Roman Empire of the first century lived below subsistence level, meaning that they were essentially starving, while another 30% were on the cusp of subsistence. This severe lack of food for the majority of the population led to widespread congenital disabilities and disorders, as well as diseases that could rampage through the weak immune systems of starving and malnourished people. Jesus' campaign of healing in Matthew plunges headlong into this misery and takes it on, reversing it and bringing the people together into a healing community. (music) 
Jesus' campaign of healing also serves as a sign of the dawning of a new age of liberation. The prophets used images of widespread healing to imagine a time when Israel would be free of foreign oppression, when Israel would give refuge to foreigners and would be a land of justice for all people. In the two verses of Matthew that I just read, the text states that through this campaign of healing, Jesus fulfills one of these prophetic texts. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. This text is from the central part of the book of Isaiah, a central section known as the Servant Songs, because it virtually sings about the servant of Yahweh who suffers for the healing of others. Israel understood itself to be the servant that Isaiah sings about. As I have described in earlier episodes of this podcast, Matthew presents Jesus as the embodiment of Israel. So Matthew can say that this passage from Isaiah that he cites is about Jesus because it was understood to be about Israel. Jesus fulfills this passage by doing what it says the servant of Yahweh will do, take the sickness and bear the disease of the people. In the first part of chapter 8, Matthew presents Jesus taking away the sickness of the people, but also bearing their diseases by touching unclean people, thereby contaminating himself. In the last episode of this podcast series, where we examine Jesus' encounter with the Roman centurion, I suggested that the liberation meal that Jesus describes and the image of outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth both foreshadow the climax of this gospel story, Jesus' crucifixion. The liberation meal leads to the Last Supper, after which Jesus is taken outside the city to be crucified, and the sky turns dark for three hours. In other words, he is cast into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, this statement about Jesus fulfilling the text from Isaiah most definitely foreshadows the crucifixion. Matthew states that Jesus fulfills Isaiah's declaration He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. The original audience of Matthew would have completed the next few lines in their heads. Yet we considered him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace, and by his bruises we are healed. Although these verses from Isaiah may sound to a modern Christian audience like they are about Jesus' substitutionary death on a cross, they were actually written centuries earlier and were originally describing the tragic role of a prophet and the nation of Israel as a prophetic nation. A prophet is often considered cursed during his or her lifetime and is struck down. Think of modern prophets like Martin Luther King or Gandhi, who, though lauded by many, were despised by others and finally assassinated in an attempt to stop their message. Their deaths were brought about by the collective sin of a society. Their deaths are considered by their enemies to be God's judgment on them. The peace that their deaths bring, then, is ironic. Their enemies seek peace through killing them but then they become martyrs, which amplifies their message all the more, furthering justice, 
which eventually brings peace in its wake. This is the sense in which the prophet, then the prophetic nation of Israel, and finally Jesus, were considered stricken, wounded for their society's transgressions, crushed for their society's iniquities, bearing the punishment that brings peace. In chapter 2, Matthew presents Jesus as reliving in his infancy and childhood the sufferings of his people from the Egyptian and Babylonian oppressions. Matthew reinforces this idea here in chapter 8 by declaring that Jesus fulfills the prophetic text of Isaiah 53. Matthew presents Jesus as embodying his people, as a liberator who carries in his own body, in his own life, the suffering of his people. My name is Bert Newton. The music in this podcast series has been provided by Bob Nolte and David Martin. Please go to our Facebook page and leave comments. This has been Episode 17 of Bible Study, Parody and Subversion in Matthew's Gospel.